What is going on? Happy Monday. The Pete Callender Show here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. So Twitter going to get bought by Elon Musk after all. Outrage ensues. Um, Twitter is poised to agree to a sale to Elon Musk of the Tesla and SpaceX fame for around $43 billion in cash. The price that the chief executive of Tesla has, uh, has called his best and final offer for the social media company. That, according to people familiar with the matter, in a report, an exclusive report, by Reuters at Reuters.com. Twitter has not been able to secure so far a go-shop provision under its agreement with Musk that would allow it to solicit other bids once the deal is signed. Still, Twitter would be allowed to accept an offer from another party by paying Musk a breakup fee, which, generally speaking, I always try to get that kind of thing hammered out as well. Like when I was dating, I would always make sure I had a breakup fee included right up front. You got to deal with that stuff right up front. The deal would come just four days after Musk unveiled a financing package to back the acquisition. All right, this is a... It's a bigger story. I covered this uh, about a week or so ago, went in depth on sort of like why this is more important than simply a, uh, you know, a company acquisition. Why should you care if you're not on Twitter at all? Why do you care? So first of all, Twitter, even though it is not like the largest platform, it's not um, it's not the one where you you get the most uh, bang out of your buck as far as advertising goes, that sort of thing. It's it, it, like Facebook is bigger, and you, I think YouTube and Instagram, TikTok, those are bigger platforms. But what Twitter has is a membership that of users that includes the quote-unquote elites. I don't find them to be elite, but for lack of a better term, this is the term I use. These are the credentialed class, right? These are the people... Uh, that, uh, what's the, uh, what's the line that Chris Matthews, MSNBC used to say all the time, um, born on third base and thinking that they hit a triple, right? People who direct policy, people who direct culture, media. I often say elections are about what media make them. That's the outsized influence that media has. And because media lives on Twitter, because frankly, um, It's a very easy source of information and story leads. A lot of people don't realize if you're a reporter, yes, you can be assigned to go cover a story. That does happen a lot. But also reporters, generally speaking, have to come to the newsroom every day and offer up ideas. They got to have story ideas to pitch to the editors and the management. And everybody sits around And they talk about the various story ideas. And so if you are on Twitter, you can go to see the different hashtags that trend, you know, that are popular where people are commenting on uh, particular topics and issues. So you can use that to gauge public opinion if this is something that is of interest to a lot of users, a lot of uh, readers. And then you can take the information that people are sticking into these trends, into these you know, hashtags, you can then use the their quotes in your stories. Now, 
dare I accuse journalists of being a little on the lazy side, but it's a very easy way to deter, uh, easy way to turn stories, particularly when you are on deadline and you might not have had a good story idea. Or even worse, you came in with a story idea, you pitched it, and maybe even the, the newsroom colleague said, yes, go for it, we like that story. And then you start tracking it down, and it turns out, as the old saying goes, nothing kills a good story like the other side of it. And then you find out, oh, no, the story I was going to go cover isn't actually that newsworthy, and it's not even the story that I thought it was. Or even worse, it turns out that the story like flies in the face of all of my prior biases, and so now I don't want to do the story. So if you get up against a deadline, it's an, it's an easy way to create uh, content. And it's done for free by people who are contributing stuff onto the hashtags and the like. So that's the influence that Twitter has on our politics, on our culture. That's how a lot of these issues get started. I mean, like the critical race theory stuff and the queer theory and gender theory stuff. I've been seeing that. I've been on Twitter since 09, and that's how I have used it. I have used it as I've just described. I used it for topic ideas. I use it every day, all day for current story ideas. By the way, if you are on Twitter, you can follow me at Pete Callender. Um, And by the way, if you haven't used the list function inside Twitter, I highly recommend you do that. You can create lists and then you can essentially curate your own um, feed of people that are producing content that you want to read. And if you don't want to go through that trouble, you go to Twitter, go to my handle at Pete Callender, and I've got one already set up. It's labeled influence and you could just follow that list. And you don't even have to follow the people. You just follow that list, and then you'll see all of the stuff that I'm seeing on my curated list. Also, sidebar, when you create lists, if you make them public, and then you add somebody to the list, they get an alert that you've just been added, or you just added them to the list. So my list, I have a list called, for example, uh, American Bridge Spammers. American Bridge is a left-wing super PAC, and uh, they're they're crazy people. And so whenever I see anybody on the hashtags that's uh, amplifying American Bridge BS, I slap the I slap them into that list. I put them into that list, and then they get an alert and it says you've been added to Pete Callender's American Bridge spammers list. And so now you can name that list anything you want to, and maybe some not-so-nice names of lists exist, and people end up on those lists, and they get a notice that they've been put on the jerk face list. Just as an example. Not that I would do that, but others have. So you can have some fun with it, too. But this is why the Twitter takeover matters. It also exposes the hypocrisy of the people who have been claiming to be the defenders of democracy, when all along, they really do want censorship, and their arguments about, well, you should just build yourself a Twitter platform to compete. That was all just window dressing. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com. TMZ. 
reporting on the rumblings coming to fruition over the weekend as Twitter and Elon Musk had a sit down yesterday, which apparently went long into the wee hours of the morning. Word is that the company was under major pressure from shareholders to sell. Some of the stockholders wanted to see if Musk would go up in price. But in the end, it seems they're ready to accept his original betting chip, especially now that he's got the dough all secured. Elon, by the way, this is one of the reasons why English is such a difficult language for non-English speaking people to learn. We speak in idioms. I mean, look at that one. That sentence. It seems he's ready to accept his original betting chip, especially now that he's got the dough all secured. If you didn't know English, you would have no idea. What, like, what does this even mean? Betting chips and, and bread? What? Elon ponied up the cash. There's another one. Ponied up the cash last week with the help of some outside partners. There's a uh, laundry list of goals that Elon Musk apparently wants to achieve with the takeover. Beyond addressing free speech problems, he sees... Musk has reportedly also talked about longer tweets, pivoting away from ads, and getting rid of spam bots. Oh, thank goodness. It is amazing. There are platforms, uh, websites that you can go to and type in somebody's uh, Twitter name, and you can find out how many of their followers are actually real people versus bots. And I have no idea what my, uh, the last time I checked my own, like 99% of my people were real people. Um, but there are some bots. I, I see a couple of them come along. Um, I argue with some of them too, just for fun. Well, I mean, you got to stay sharp, you know? Uh, Elon ponied up the cash and uh, beyond addressing free speech problems, he wants to pivot away from the spam bots, which he sees as a pest. He also talked about making Twitter's algorithm Open source. Uh oh. Right. This is what has people so. This is what has people on the left so worried that we're going to get a look under the hood. We're going to take a look. Not me. I don't have any idea how to read an algorithm, but other people who do, they're going to take a look under the hood and they're going to see, and then they will tell me. I mean, not just me, but other people. They will say, hey, this is how Twitter has been manipulating search results, uh, trending stories. This has been a big problem on the platform for a while. When Twitter first introduced the concept, put it into everyone's uh, uh, app, and you go over to the search feature, and you used to have to just search for something. But then they started saying, like, here are the topics for you, and here are the trending topics. And then, of course, they would start putting their thumb on the scale because they just can't help themselves. And they would start sort of directing what stories are the big stories. You see the problem here as it relates to news coverage. And what I just went over with the reporters and some of them, hashtag not all reporters, some of them being lazy. Some of them are lazy. And so... You could just head on over to the trending topic, see what's trending, and then turn a story. Let's localize it. That's a big deal. Localize this story. And when I explain this process, it's very simple. You're going to see it everywhere, which is, hey, there's a national story. Let's say it's about, I don't know, Hunter Biden's laptop. I'm kidding. Nobody would do that story. So let's say it's about Donald Trump's kids, right? Then they're going to say, well, we should localize that. Let's, let's find somebody local who knows something about... A t- 
tangential issue related to Donald Trump's kids. And then you go interview that person. And then you frame the story as, with all the news lately about Donald Trump's children, we spoke to one expert who knows children. And this expert said, Donald Trump's a terrible father. Right? Like, that's how you build a a story. You build a narrative. Right? That's how that works. Localize it. Obviously, you can do it with other things, right? You see a national report that comes out. You find your state, your town, whatever, and you localize it that way. So, and this has been a mainstay of journalism for decades. You take a national story, and then you give a little sidebar localization effort. Okay. But the the trending topics that Twitter curates and then tells you these are the important stories going on today. Okay. How are you arriving at this conclusion, though? Sorry, we can't show you that. That's proprietary. That's our algorithm. So without knowing how they are curating these topics, one is left with the impression that this is organic, that people are actually talking about a topic like Hunter Biden's laptop, for example. I'm kidding. They suppressed that one. But therein lies the problem, is they can also use the algorithm to remove trending topics and stories, to hide things that maybe certain people inside Twitter are not interested in you learning about. So that's what we're going to find. And maybe they haven't been doing that. I'm kidding. They totally have been doing that, right? So we're going to find out how they've been doing it. We're also maybe going to get a look at some internal communications, which might also support the accusations that Twitter doesn't operate in an unbiased manner. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, The Pete Callender Show. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com and get the podcast at WBT.com or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Um, it's a Pete tweet from Boomy Leaks. He says, if you ever think you're worthless, remember that Elon Musk is offering $43 billion for Twitter's 212 million daily active users. So actually, you're worth about $202. And that just makes me feel better. Eric Nelson says, I have a theory where Elon Musk likes to make money. And mostly allows responsible people to handle normal uh, normal business manners. When he buys Twitter, he'll probably want to make money and allow responsible people to handle normal business matters. Am I crazy with this? Or what? It is funny to watch the complete meltdown now in its, what, second week from people in the media and leftists, but I repeat myself, um, who all of a sudden are very, very concerned that they're not going to be able to, quote, moderate content, which they said, you know, there's no censorship occurring on Twitter, even though Twitter banned the Babylon Bee for a satirical story, a parody website that does satire got banned by Twitter. And that's what actually prompted Elon Musk to call the founder of the Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon, and ask him, is this really what happened? Dylan confirmed what happened. And that's when Musk started moving on Twitter. First offering 
to just buy the company, said this is my first and final offer. It's not going to get any better. And then the Twitter board of directors did the poison pill. You remember the poison pill? Oh, it was big news last week. The poison pill, or two weeks ago now? Gosh, it's all running together. The poison pill would essentially dilute Elon Musk's uh, stock value if he attempted to purchase more than 15%. Everybody except him would be able to purchase more and more stock to dilute his shares, to dilute his his standing as 15%. So the, if he tried to go above 15%, any additional stock he bought, everybody else would get access at a discounted rate. So it's a way to prevent a hostile takeover. So the, in other words, we would rather kill our company. That's what the board of directors said. We would rather kill our own company and and just destroy the value that has already been built, billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars worth, we will destroy that, set it on fire, if Elon Musk is allowed to buy the company. Why? What did Elon Musk say that's got all these people so concerned? He said, what? I'm going to buy the company. I'm going to pay you a premium for doing so. So I'm going to give you more money than the stock is actually worth. Oh, that evil genius. What a monster. How dare he pay me more than my stock is worth? Oh, wait a minute. So what is it that is really animating the opposition? Well, it's about the way Twitter does what it does and to whom it does it, right? That is, that is what has been exposed in the last two weeks. So after the board of directors says, poison pill, you can't do that. What does Elon Musk do? Well, he goes out and he starts talking to some people. And Elon Musk, being the richest guy in the world, knows a lot of other richest people in the world. And uh, they start cobbling together a package deal, putting together the financing. A couple of days ago, New York Post reported that Musk was in talks with private equity firm Thoma Bravo. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly about partnering on a possible takeover bid for Twitter. And uh, that's a Chicago-based buyout firm that's focused on the tech sector. And uh, they were seen to be a key moving forward with a binding offer for Twitter. It's mainly because Elon Musk, despite the fact that he is the richest person in the world with an estimated net worth of $270 billion, which is, I mean, that's approaching, you know, talk show host money. Almost. I mean, it's not really there, but it's on its way. Despite the fact he's the richest person, he doesn't want to foot the entire bill for the acquisition. Also, Thoma Bravo, um, a major name in the private equity uh, area whose past investments have included software security giant McAfee, would likely move forward on a Twitter buyout with Musk or not at all. So Elon Musk was a key part of this deal for the firm, for the equity firm. The uh, sources say Thoma Bravo executives are mixed on the idea, mainly because of Musk's erratic behavior and taste for controversial politics. With his Thursday filing, Musk was apparently signaling to the private equity firm that this is going to be real. This is a binding proposal. One source, this is according to the New York Post, one source Close to the situation said that Musk has had little difficulty 
getting interest from co-investors that have participated in funding rounds for his other ventures, including SpaceX. So a lot of people were very interested in backing Elon Musk's play. Um, And part of this is because he's got a lot of financial stake that's still tied up in Tesla, and it doesn't, like, mature until, I think, like a year or so, I think I read, and... So if he try, he can't he can't access all of it right now, but he can in a year or so. And so, it's a good bet. He's a good bet for people to bank on. Um, after the board of directors adopted that poison pill strategy to dilute the value of its own shares, some observers thought that Musk might back off, having made a point about Twitter's bad management. But instead, he announced that he had locked in enough financing. Uh, This is from HotAir.com. Ed Morrissey, in an SEC filing, Musk listed three sources for the cash. The first two would be loans from the investment bank Morgan Stanley, worth $13 billion and $12.5 billion, respectively. And the third source is described as an equity commitment of $21 billion from Musk himself. The previous estimate of the buyout at that share was $43 billion, and it sounds as though Musk is locking in enough financing to start pushing that price up a bit to force the board to answer for its actions with shareholders. See, this is the key. The board took its action, but the shareholders are the ones that get to vote the shares. And if the actual shareholders want to sell because Musk is offering them boatloads of money to do so, then the board is not acting in the best interest of the shareholders, right? Um, also the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, he's been making some comments last couple of days that are pretty, pretty interesting. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So Jack Dorsey, who, by the way, I am not Jack Dorsey. I I know, look, I know nobody has ever seen Dorsey and me together at the same place at the same time. I know that. But I am not Jack Dorsey. Just because I lost all the weight and I have a goatee that, yes, admittedly, is in need of some trimming right now. Despite these pieces of information, I'm not the same person. Apparently, there was a rumor started in the Raleigh area that I may be Jack Dorsey, but I am not. Anyway, Jack Dorsey is the founder of Twitter. And he has, uh, well, remember, he got forced out, and then they brought him back in, and then he just retired again. And the new guy took over, and the new guy's like, you know, we're going to go total woke, we're going to, Look to censor more. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but that's kind of what he said. Anyway, Jack Dorsey tweeting on his platform, Twitter, some, shall we say, interesting things. For example, on April 16th, in a series of tweets, the co-founder and board member of Twitter, Inc. said that the Twitter board has, quote, consistently been the dysfunction of the company. So he, it started, um, there was a, uh, somebody else on Twitter discussing board governance, good boards, bad boards. 
and uh, for companies in Silicon Valley. And Dorsey responded, quote, big facts. This is what the user had said, quote, what I do know for sure is that this old Silicon Valley proverb is grounded in an age old wisdom that still applies today. Good boards don't create good companies, but a bad board will kill a company every time. And Jack Dorsey responded, big facts. If you're looking into the history of the Twitter board, it's intriguing as I was a witness on its early beginnings. Mired in plots and coups and particularly amongst Twitter's founding members, I wish if it could be made into a Hollywood thriller one day. That's what somebody else said. Somebody, obviously, who has some inside knowledge. And Dorsey then responded that the Twitter board, quote, has been consistently the dysfunction of the company. And then a user responded and said, are you allowed to say that? And Dorsey said, no. (laughs) In another cryptic tweet from the founder, he tweeted out the Radiohead song, Karma Police. And then there was this. This was uh, less than a week ago. He slapped CNN's Brian Stelter, not in a physical way like Will Smith would, but rhetorically on you know Twitter. The CNN host, Brian Stelter, who, by the way, just for full disclosure, does look like a potato. He shared a link from the Washington Post. Brian Stelter did, the potato-looking guy. He shared a link which accused Fox News host Tucker Carlson of, quote, selling doubt to his core audience. Selling doubt, because that's, that is completely beyond the pale of anything media ever does. That's why you will never see a question mark in a headline or something. So Tucker Carlson, accused by the potato of selling doubt. Jack Dorsey responds to Stelter and says, oh, and you're selling hope? His response prompted a social media frenzy with at least one Twitter user accusing him of defending Carlson. And Dorsey said, not defending a thing, holding up a mirror. This is one of those things where it's like people get, they get so agitated. If I point out, hey, this guy did something bad over here. And then what happens? The whataboutism. Oh, yeah? Well, why aren't you talking about Trump? That's usually how that goes. Over the last six years, that's been usually the response. Dorsey did not expound on any specific incidents, but he did respond to a quote or a a tweet from uh, Miss Universe Iraq, Sarah Abdali Idan, who wrote, even CNN sometimes sells fake news or false news. I know this from covering Iraq events in 2019. People need to understand every media is prone to either mistakes or deliberate corruption. Do your own investigations before believing what they're selling you. And Dorsey responded to her, quote, I know this from being on the streets of Ferguson during the protests and watching them try to create conflict and film it, causing the protest uh, the protesters to chant bleep CNN. Except they didn't say bleep. They said a word that started with an F. They were trying to create conflict. That's what Jack Dorsey says he saw firsthand on the streets of Ferguson. You'll recall that was the the protest after the Michael Brown shooting, which CNN promoted as an unjustified bad shoot. 
and they painted Michael Brown as, you know, somebody who is, you know, hands up, don't shoot. A complete lie. A total lie. That, by the way, a lot of folks at CNN still promulgate that myth to this day. I saw over the weekend, I forget what publication it was, somebody lumped Michael Brown's shooting in with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd as as bad shoots or, or as, you know, you know, police brutality because George Floyd wasn't shot. But Michael Brown's situation was completely different. The guy, look, when you charge a cop, grab his gun and have it discharge inside his vehicle, um, yeah, I'm thinking that's that's on you. That's a you problem. You did that. You did not have to run at the police officer. You did not have to grab his gun. Right? You did not have to to then run away and charge him again. You didn't have to do any of that. You also didn't have to rough up the guy at the convenience store either. Robert. But what do I know? I'm just a radio host. All right, news is next. <laughs> 